Hey folks, welcome back to Lords of Order, a DC's Dr. Fate fan podcast. I'm your host, Ed Moore. This is episode 104. Be aware, there are spoilers for this book that was published in 1943, so you, you are duly warned. Dr. Fate Fan Podcast at gmail.com is the email address. There are pages on Google Plus and Facebook if you want to leave comments there. Uh, yes, I, I still use Google Plus. Sorry. Teal Productions, T E A L, on Twitter. And bigtimenoise.com slash Dr. Fate is the website. Our story comes from All Star Comics, issue 19, the 1940 volume, dated winter 1943, and the story's entitled. The Crimes Set to Music. This issue is structured slightly different from the way they normally are. Normally you have individual stories. You have framing stories beginning and end. And then you have the seven or eight individual missions that the characters go on throughout. This time you have that structure, but one of the characters, rather than being in between the beginning and ending frame of the story is the last story, because his story is what sets everything else into motion. Uh, His, him, being Hawkman. So Hawkman is not part of the group because something has happened to him, this issue, that starts and is the impetus for the story itself. The narrator tells us, There is no meeting of the Justice Society this time, for the Hawkman has disappeared. Bring back the Hawkman! is the war cry as a vengeful group of crime fighters gather around an ancient piano to listen to the weird tune that Wonder Woman plays. For as she strikes each key, a man's fate hangs in the balance. Once more, the Justice Society takes the trail. Once again, those mighty masters of right and justice avail themselves of all their brain and brawn to unriddle the crimes set to music. Our opening and closing framing sequences were scripted by Gardner Fox and penciled by Joe Gallagher. The Dr. Fate story was scripted by Gardner Fox and penciled and inked by Joe Chester Kozlak. And this issue can be found reprinted in All-Star Comics Archive 5, dated December or uh, dated 1999 from DC Comics. Our story opens with Starman receiving a visit from one of Hawkman's hawks. He delivers to Starman, or she, I guess, a leaf on which is written a musical staff with a single note delineated. The hawk then tells Starman to follow it. And of course, Starman understands because he tells us that Hawkman taught all Justice Society members the art of bird language for use in emergencies. Uh, we see the other members uh, en route as well, and they all arrive at a house. When they enter the front room of the house, they see Wonder Woman, who's already there, standing next to a piano. On the wall to the side here, we see a calendar that is marked 1902. That puts us roughly 40 years prior to when this is occurring that something occurred in this house. That's why they're telling us 1902, obviously. So Wonder Woman tells what little she knows. The other members of the Justice Society get up in arms to go find Hawkman. And Wonder Woman says, wait a minute. All of you received messages, received notes that had musical notes on them. Why, we have a piano right here. 
let's play those notes. And each time she strikes the note that is delineated on one of the members' messages, each only has one note, it springs a panel that reveals a hidden message. And on each message is the name, address of someone, and a little riddle. For instance, Starman's says, Mark Nelson, 243 Garand Drive, fiddle, fiddle on the wall, you are riding for a fall. And having read that, I realized I could just have read Dr. Fate's message, which is Arturo Carasa, 436 Grand Road. And his riddle says, a golden voice which does him proud shall matter nothing in his shroud. And the narrator tells us, to save a singer's most prized possession, his voice, the blue and gold form of Dr. Fate catapults into an aria of assault and mayhem and hits high sea against desperados of the underworld. Dr. Fate arrives at 436 Grand Road, presents himself to Mr. Carassa, explains what's going on, and Carassa, of course, uh, panics a little bit. Fate assuages his fears and tells him, don't worry, I am here. I am a superhero. I will protect you. I say that kind of tongue-in-cheek. That's not exactly what he said, but that, in essence, is it. Off somewhere, we see a couple ne'er-do-wells approaching, one of them carrying something. They get to Karasa's house and attach this um, something that they were carrying. Turns out to be a canister to a some sort of intake. It's a gas canister, so they're going to fill the house with this gas. And as Karasa and Fate realize that the gas is there, it starts to affect their throat. Uh, they start to cough. It feels as if their throat is constricting. Fate immediately gathers up Karasa and rushes outside to the roof of his house. They do get some fresh air, but not before the effects of the gas uh, are, are present in that it has taken their voice away. Neither can speak. Now, for Dr. Fate, perhaps that's not that big a deal. But Karasa, who is a singing virtuoso, it is devastating. So, in that essence, the attack was successful. Now, fate seems to think that given just a day or two, you know, the fresh air, this will clear up. He wasn't exposed all that much. So, for that, we'll just have to wait and see if this is a permanent issue or not. Either way, Karasa was supposed to sing the next day. So, it did mess that up. Fate comes up with a plan whereby... Uh, Karasa makes all the movements and gestures and everything just like he would leading up to his performance. And when it's time to perform, he physically performs, but fate with a phonograph and a record pulls a Milli Vanilli and the singing is piped in rather than Karasa doing it live. Pulls it off. Everything goes fine. Dr. Fate decides that Having heard Karasa sing, whoever did this will make a second attempt. That time, this time, he thinks, I will be ready for them, um, assuming that they're going to do it the same way, which I guess for a singer, you know, short of running up and hitting them in the kneecap with a hammer. Well, no, a kneecap wouldn't work anyways, would it have to be in the throat? Hitting them in the throat with a hammer, um, which would be kind of gruesome. But so he figures they're going to use the gas uh, anyway. They do. Um, he jumps them while they're there, hooking up their uh, foul gas that constricts the throat, whatever gas it is. 
dispatches both men in um, a page and a half of panels of witty, golden age, playful, Archie-like banter. Until finally, he drops the men off at the Huskow, as fate calls it, and runs off saying the trail draws to an end now to find the Hawkman. We arrive now at what would normally be our closing frame, closing story. Turns out not to be this issue. The narrator says, Let us draw back the misty curtain of time and travel to a little country town on a summer day 40-odd years ago. Eight boys sit on a stone wall overlooking the town. Teddy Roosevelt was made president after McKinley was shot some months before. People are wearing narrower skirts and beaver hats and singing on the banks of the Wabash when they're not talking about the new canal to be dug at Panama. And I guess all of those are references to early 1900s issues. Um, I recognize some things, Teddy Roosevelt and McKinley. I don't know exactly when that occurred. I'm not that uh, fine-tuned on history. But we have a a wall, uh, which... I would say must be part of a house or a castle or something like that. And these boys are sitting on it overlooking this friendly little town um, here that they want us to believe is an action. And the eight boys essentially are dreaming of what they're going to do when they grow up. And apparently each of them has some type of musically related virtuosity, except for Hector. Hector Bauer is a writer. He's a composer. That's his uh, ability, we'll, we'll call it. Now, Hector apparently is an orphan. The other boys have families uh, that, after a successful career of young music- musicianship, affords them the ability to further their career at college, uh, at finishing schools and things like that to to get better at their craft. Except for Hector. Hector has to work during the day and refine his composing at night. Until finally, he gathers all the money he has saved and goes to the big city. That's what the narrator tells us in quotes, or double quotes actually, big city. There Hector realizes, he finds out that it's not that easy Striking out, striking out time after time, until finally he gets a lead on one of his buddies. Uh, the names that are dropped are Loring Murkaroff, Ted Kurowski, and Mark Nelson. Well, all three of those are boys that he grew up with. So he goes to see one of them, uh, Lori. So he goes to see Loring Murkaroff. And Lori tells him, well, absolutely, we'll get all the guys together and we'll play one of your pieces. Uh, Yes, yes, he's very excited to do it. Well, that same day, Hector is walking around and encounters an accident uh, in which he loses time uh, and becomes amnesiac. A couple days later, he realizes who and what he is. And when he digs up paper um, reviews of the symphony, they that it was a failure. It was an utter and total failure. The music was horrible. He, Hector, uh, finally gets a job making pianos. And at the same time, we see all of his friends speaking to an agent, um, whoever it was that, that set all this up to begin with, pleading to give Hector's music another chance. And the, and the guy is just telling him it's, it's poo, uh, don't have anything to do with him. So, 
Lori whiles away the years in a piano manufacturing plant. Until that day in 1943, that the Justice Society breaks down his doors, starts walloping on him, knocks him out, and finds a captive Hawkman. At that point, Hawkman relates his story, which is the story that got everything set into motion. He and Shara went to a Charles Norris concert. Norris is a trumpeter, where he encountered Hector trying to damage, trying to stop the um, performance of Mr. Norris. In the fight, it goes back and forth, but finally Bauer subdues the Hawkman, runs away. Hawkman then recovers and follows Bauer, at which point Bauer sets off a trap that he had set that douses Hawkman in chemicals that tightens the skin muscles to marble-like rigidity, turning Hawkman essentially into a human statue. Uh, Puts Hawkman in a cage, and while Hawkman is there, completely unable to prevent it, Hector Bauer relates his entire plan, which is always the way that the bad guys do, right? Even on the commercial, where he's got the uh, good agent tied up and he's about to kill him, he wants to tell him his plan, starting with how to, what is it, tap geothermal energy or something like that? Yeah, so, so Bauer tells him that he built a special piano in the house he lived in as a in as a boy. And as each new idea for revenge came, each idea being how to get revenge on one of his juvenile compatriots when they grew up together, I hid the plans there. They're still in the piano and appear when certain notes are struck. Aha, okay, there's part of it. Hawkman uh, realizes that his right arm wasn't doused as much as the rest of his body, and so he is able to start moving his right arm much sooner than anything else. So he calls in some hawk accomplices for help, instructs each hawk to bring him a leaf and an ink uh, well, sets the ink well there where the bars are that give you access to the outside, right, the little ledge. And on each leaf, using his one good arm, he dips his finger in the ink and writes a musical note. He tells the Hawks to take these to the Justice Society members. Uh, I don't know how they know. I guess he does it one at a time and then tells that Hawk which member to find. I I don't know. And there's a note. I presume he doesn't say so. He says, go, my friends, to each of the members of the Justice Society and find Wonder Woman, too. So perhaps she had her own note because I don't see in this plan, short of him telling her specifically, how Wonder Woman would have known to be at that particular house that the Hawks led the other members to. Okay, but she was. So her note must have contained that information as opposed to a musical note. Also, notice that the two, four, six, seven male members of the Justice Society who are not captured go out on missions. Wonder Woman still does not. That annoys me. Wonder Woman could probably kick the butt of all of these except maybe Fate and the Thunderbolt. Well, the Spectre. Okay, I'll say half. The Thunderbolt, the Spectre, and Dr. Fate may give her a good run for the money. Although this Dr. Fate doesn't have magical powers. He just has remnant strength flying abilities. So maybe not him, but the Spectre and the Thunderbolt um, 
Wonder Woman would have trouble with. But she could kick everybody else's butt, but she gets to stay because she is just the secretary um, and now piano player. I guess she's added to her resume as of this issue. So that's kind of disappointing that she's not able to go out on missions with them. But um, either way, there is Dr. Fate's Adventures from All-Star Comics 19. Uh, Next time up, I think I'll be doing some more modern catch-up. I'm going to look through the Dark Knight's Metal miniseries. Um, Six issues. I think there were Fate appearances in like three or four of them. So I'll read through, see if they're anything significant enough. They probably will be for what is going on in the DC Universe. Um, So I'll probably go ahead. I don't know how significant they will be for his character. We'll see. Either way, that's what I'm planning to. If not, then probably the next book will be a Golden Age book again, which should be More Fun Comics issue 95 or thereabouts uh, for a Dr. Fate appearance. But hopefully it will be this Dark Knight's Metal 1 through 6. All right, guys. Thanks a lot for hanging in there as I bounced around this episode a little bit, this issue. I appreciate it. Um, If you have any feedback, forward that to me. Otherwise, I will talk to you again next episode. Ciao. Lords of Order is a Teal production, and as such, is licensed under a Creative Commons attribution, non-commercial, non-derivative 3.0 unported license.